Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Feeling okay? Feeling well? A little bit better than we were a few days ago? Well, I hope that's the case, that a lot of positive energy is flooding through your body and just transferring that negative energy, whatever it may be inside, on the way out as I deliver a special midweek podcast to the masses. So when you come to listen to what's happening in the world of sports and want to get my take on analysis and opinions on what is going on, well, you've come to the right place as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who have been banging with me for now 136 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It's a Thursday, June the 11th in the year of our Lord 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What I have is special guest, Jahidi White, the former Georgetown Center Hoya and NBA veteran, most notably for the Washington Wizards. Pretty much this conversation, which was very in-depth. I love Jahidi's pretty much straightforwardness, very direct, but also very entertaining and very engaging as far as this conversation is concerned. We touch on a bunch of different things from his college career, Georgetown, John Thompson, him being just a huge influence in his life, especially when he was on the verge of going to the NBA draft after suffering a broken ankle in the senior season. We go through those Wizards teams, how connected he was with his teammates, and a lot of those teammates were veteran players. So very interesting take from Jahidi in reference to what it was like to be on those Wizards teams, considering that he had a much older unit on that team. And also, we'll touch on the game today and a few other things before we say goodbye. So I hope you enjoy this exchange that I have with Jahidi White. I'll come back on the other end to wrap it up. So without further ado, my man from Georgetown and also from the Washington Wizards and the NBA, Jahidi White. Please enjoy, and I'll see you on the other end. All right, on the line, I have former Georgetown Hoya and notably... Washington Wizard player back in the late 90s joins me here is Jahidi White as we discuss his career, post-career, and everything that's going on. So, Jahidi, welcome to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, how you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm good. I appreciate you having me. Oh, please. My pleasure, man. It's uh, uh first thing with everything that's gone on in this country over the last couple of months and obviously the last week. Uh, how you been able to hold up between quarantine and then everything that's uh, happened since last Monday out in Minneapolis? Everything good? Well, I mean, as good as it can be, but, you know, it's 2020 has been tough, you know, and, and with COVID going on and all of that, that's something that's really never happened in our era of living or our parents in the United States, you know, and um, with this tragedy that happened to George Floyd, that's just, you know, unnecessary and, and just horrific. Mm. And, and really was a powder keg to the country. You know, it's, I hate that it happened. I really do, you know, but it, 
you know, finally time that people actually believe that that's what's going on. I mean, it's been going on forever, mm-hmm. and now they're realizing, okay, this is reality. This is really going on. Exactly. And uh, it's good to see so many people, whether young or old, protesting. Now, of course, you're going to see all the other stuff that the media is going to put out there. Uh, people planting bricks, these organizations that are doing that, to just try to incite even more uh, disruption and, and all that. But it's good to see from Colorado and pretty much the whole nation how it seems like slowly but surely, hopefully, people are starting to realize and recognize that this thing is bigger than what it's ever been. I mean, we could go through the whole laundry list, unfortunate, of all the people that have passed prior to that due to police brutality. But uh, I'm hoping that uh, this is a wake-up call to the nation to finally get their act together in order to stay on that straight line and that straight path for unity, you know, all for one, one for all. Yeah, it's a wake-up call, and it's a start. I mean, in reality, it's a start. I mean, you're going to have to change way more. I mean, you have to change, Even if you change the police system from inside out and turn it inside out Mm -hmm. you know you still now still have to do the prison system and the judicial system i mean until you do all three of those and and, because it's systematic right until you until you fix all three of those you cannot just you cannot fix the police system because the police system was just you know the the first part that passed it along to the whole system as long as the prison system still need prisoners you know to fill the fill the prisons Mm -hmm. you know to, to make the money it's the whole system is is messed up. Yeah, no, it definitely is. So, but uh, we can move from that to uh, your childhood growing up because obviously between being a young boy, teenager, and of course going to Georgetown, I'm kind of curious to find out how did you get into basketball? Was basketball your first love? Was it another sport that grabbed your attention early on? What was it like as a, a teenager and a young boy growing up trying to build that path to get to uh, anywhere in the sports world, in particular with basketball? Well, just you know, basketball is different now, back then, than it is now. You know, back then, we didn't have you know all the, the state of the art trainers and all the technology. Mm-hmm. You know, my it was a good thing. My father and all my uncles and everybody in my neighborhood were just big basketball fans and loved to play basketball. So, as a young kid, I would go you know with my uncles or the older kids in the neighborhood. You know, that was already in high school and play, and we'd travel all over the city playing in all the schoolyards. Right. which helped me to learn how to play against, you know, bigger, stronger, older players, you know, and kind of really develop a, how to navigate the game, you know, mm-hmm. early. So it, it just kind of was a path. And, you know, before you know it, I'm and in college, I mean, in high school, and uh, no one heard of me and kind of started making a little impact in high school. And go, I went to a Nike camp one time. And at that Nike camp with Allen Iverson, Kevin Garnett, a mm. lot of other top players, and I made a real big impact at that camp. And before you know it, I had every school beating down my door. Well, I can only imagine what that was like. I'm sure the nerves were probably at edge because you're going up against the top, you know, high school players throughout the country. Uh, if you could kind of give us a little insight of what that was like, knowing that you well, were. It really wasn't any nerves because I didn't know who those guys were. They just like they didn't know who I was. You oh, know, like, look at that! Uh, it's safe, you know. It's my first time meeting and hearing of any of them. Now, I'm sure the rest of the world probably knew who they were, but I'm not, that, was, that was just other basketball players. You know, I knew that it was the top coming in in the country coming in, but I was going to play my game once I realized, okay, not only I can play my game, but I can pretty much dominate. They can't stop me, mm-hmm. and it, it is what it is. You know. 
And that was the thing, because for those out there who may not uh, the too young to remember watching you play, whether in college or in the pros, uh, how would you think it would best suit your style to, let's say, the player back then or even an NBA player today? Because, of course, you being 6'9", you being that big body in the middle to not only defend and rebound but add toughness, who's a guy that maybe the young listener would think that your game would translate to who it would be today? Today is no player like that pretty much today in my game. But if, if I if I had a player that I could really pattern my game by, which that's really what I really kind of did was pattern my – I tried to pattern my game after Shaquille O'Neal. Mm. You know, but my favorite player was Magic Johnson. But, you know, being as tall as I was growing up, no coach really would let me bring the ball down the court. So I didn't have the greatest basketball handling skills. So, right. you know, I just used my, my brute power and strength and my jumping ability and – the skills I had around the basket. So I, you I, you probably pretty much have to, you know, put me as a like a Shaquille O'Neal type player. Right, definitely physical, certainly the rim protector, absolutely. Now, as far as that camp is concerned, so you said a lot of offers were coming through at that time, a lot of schools. Of course, you picked Georgetown. Were there any other schools that you were close to signing with or even thinking about going to, or did John Thompson just sell you right on off the bat? Come to Georgetown. I no, got your back. Uh, so John Thompson pretty much was the last person. Well, he, no, he wasn't the last person to come in the mix, but he wanted me to think he was the last person to come mm. in the mix. Because, you know, it was all type of little signals and signs that, you know, a lot of people were talking about Georgetown. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, I had uh, – I was really interested in going to Michigan. I liked the Fab Five, and they started recruiting me early. Um, Kentucky was recruiting me early. Kansas, I really liked Kansas too. Kansas was recruiting me early. Wow, you know, you and UNLV um, and Temple, you know, and, and they were really kind of already in the forefront. And Georgetown actually didn't seem like they had much interest, you know. But as a kid, I always, you know, was just a a fan of just Georgetown before I even knew. Before I really, before I, I knew Patrick, I knew Alonzo. You know, but before I really even knew that, I was a fan of just the paraphernalia, you know, the, the merchandise. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. They used to have the, the long high tops, the real, I like. I mean, that's all that was in my neighborhood was Georgetown coats, Georgetown hats, Georgetown sweaters. You know, that was back then when they were the number one, you know, uh, merchandise. They they were top, top in merchandise of all the college. Yep. You know, so. That's kind of that was ingrained. It. I didn't even know where Georgetown was at the time, or you know what type of school it was. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I uh, started watching when Patrick came along, and I started watching Alonzo. You know, and, and, and I knew that it was you know a, a lot of big men left Georgetown and went to the NBA, and it was pretty much big man university. And the, you know, John Thompson, how he stood up for his players. And not only that, he he was a big man himself. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would rather go somewhere where they really understood the big man game. So. I always was looking for Georgetown because I knew that was big man you, you know. That's right. So uh, they came along late in the game, but when they came along, I was happy. <laughs> Once I saw that, it was pretty much no no turning back about any other school. Oh, interesting. And then your first year, your freshman year was 94-95, I believe, correct? Yes. Right, and then you came in. That was his first year class with, of course, Allen Iverson and with Othella Harrington already there. I thought it was a great compliment to have – you and Othello, because Othello, although he was a big man, 
But at the same time, his game was more predicated on finesse. Had the outside touch, was able to rebound, was able to bang, but you were definitely a guy that would play inside. Uh, if you could kind of walk me through what that was like that freshman year to be on that team with a guy like Othello, who I believe at the time was a junior. And then, of course, Allen with all the hype coming in with college. I know, mind you, the incident he had, of course, with the whole bowling alley, that was a lot, a lot of the focus then too. But what was that first year like at Georgetown, just uh, linking up with those guys and uh, building the team from there? Well, it seemed like everybody knew that that year it was going to be a major year. There was a lot of hype coming around Georgetown, especially for Allen Ox. Mm-hmm. You know, just, we getting Allen Ox and then the story, you know, like you said, the story at the bowling alley, everything that came behind it. So every, everybody was just following and following Georgetown. A lot, of, a lot of big hype, you know. And that freshman year before that summer we came in, we had to come in in the summer before school even started and, and play in this uh, league called the Kenner League that was at the school. Mm-hmm. And that was when uh, Steve Francis was a freshman you know, and Allen Iverson was a freshman. And we, they all, you know, all the top players played in that Kenner League. And it was right. And it just so happened that the Kenner League was on Georgetown campus. So that's when you really get to see, like, you know, the guys you were playing against and, um, you know, the guys you had to face, you know, like Steve. And, and, and you could tell how much those guys made an impact on the city and, how Othello, when Othello played, how much they already loved him at Georgetown. So I can understand when I walked in, I'm like, okay, this is the place to be. This is going to be, you know, a lot of fun playing at this school, you know, at this college. No, of course. Um, and oh, you know, I didn't, that, that year, my freshman year, I didn't get to start, you know, I, and they were slowly, at the beginning, they were slowly kind of implementing me and, you know, bringing me off the bench. And I was getting time here, time there. And then further on, along in the season, I got started getting more time. But, you know, then toward the end of the season, you know, it really, really depended on me. Um, but, I, you know, I, had, I learned a lot from Othello. You know, Othello, mm. even though he had a finesse game, he was a strong-ass dude. <laughs> so, you know, Othello was tough. Yeah. You know, don't ever think Othello wasn't, Othello wasn't tough. Othello was tough, you know, and he, and he, he would – you know, Othello, you got to realize, he's been playing their freshman year, and every year, every summer, those guys like Alonzo, Patrick, Dikembe, and all those guys come yep. back and play. Right. So he's been playing against those guys for a long time, way before, you know, he even went in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So he, Othello knew he he had a lot of experience. And so, you know, it was, a, it was, it was really a learning experience to have to, you know, Play behind Othello, and in practice, he put he took me under his wing, and you know sometimes it was tough luck. Mm-hmm. But um, not only that, you had Don Reed there as well, who also went to the NBA. Yep. So those are two centers that, and Don was a senior. Yeah. So those two guys that really, really just helped me out and helped me quickly get my game to the next level. No, it's interesting you mentioned Don Reed because he's a guy that definitely flies under the radar. And the one thing I think about Don Reed was that. First year in the tournament against Weber State, because I believe Iverson uh, had the putback, but I believe Don, yeah, Don Reed took that shot and obviously went to the Sweet 16. And I know that was a big moment. Georgetown hadn't been to the Sweet 16, it seemed like forever. And I can only imagine what the, just everything surrounding that play and that moment. Uh, do you recall that? Is that something that still stick in, in the front of your memory? Or does it seem so long ago that it was one of those things that uh, just hadn't lasted as long? How could it not? <laughs> Being down against Weaver State, yeah, I know. You know. At the time when we worked, you know that that was like we like, oh lord, think about being on that bench saying, hey man, we about to lose against Weaver State. Yeah, and Allen Iverson came and took that shot, and Don 
caught it and and put it behind his head and not and put it in, and you know, and but you got to realize Don, that's nothing that's that's nothing that was rare with Don. You don't understand how much of an athlete and how hard Don worked. Mm. Don was the only center, you know, in practice that when we're running sprints, he would beat all the guards in suicide to get back. Mm. Wow. And that's how much that's how much Don worked. So think about him being down think that to think about him being down there when nobody was down there to catch that ball to put it back in, that was Don. Right. That's all hustle right there. And not only that being he a senior. He wouldn't give you two words. The whole time I was there, he wouldn't say two words and he was my and he lived with me in Allen. Oh wow. He say two words other than clean up. But you know that <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, man, I mean that's that's Don. He we he's gonna work his butt off. Look at that, leading by example too. Now it's interesting. So you room with those guys. What would that must have been like uh, as college, you know, freshmen, especially for you and Allen, and then of course having a guy like Don Reed, who was the older brother there of the unit. Uh, I can only imagine what that experience must have been like. Just having a guy that would take you under their wing, of course yourself, Allen, and then to have Don there about to go into the NBA. What was that first year like? Just sharing that experience with them. Man, it, 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 believe me, it was it was a unique experience, but it was a great time. You know, one nice. thing about Don is when, you know, he, he could control Allen, too. You know, mm. he put his foot down, and we all stood at attention. You know, right. that was my guy. That's how Don was. And it was it was, it was great for us to have him as freshman. You know, because Allen, Allen was a kind of a – he would leave where he would leave his stuff wherever he laid it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that was number 52, Don Reed. I'll never forget, man. Yeah, definitely one of those players that, like you said, just led by example. Now you get to the Sweet 16. Now you're going up against Rasheed Wallace and Jerry Stackhouse. And I remember watching that game. That was a Thursday night. And it was going to be tough sledding against those two guys, which obviously they were primed and ready to go to the NBA. Uh, If you could take me back to what that uh, game was like and just the experience of playing against those guys after your first year or just about the conclusion of your first year in college. Yeah, that was a tough game. That was a really good game. What we realized that game was, you know, we were still young. That that game let us know how young we were, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and how young Allen Allen Iverson was. And then we had Jerome Williams that was just came from JUCO. So, yep. You know, and then Bubakar Al. So you got to realize most of our starters were were their first year playing at Georgetown, and um, the North Carolina's experience just kicked our butt you mm-hmm. know they just really did and that was we really had to tuck our tail between our legs and walk up go home and realize all right we got a lot of work to put in if we want to really you know and that 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 loss pretty much hurt that year mm-hmm. for a long time you know because that was a big loss and you know we thought we would we really wanted to beat that team but when we came out we just they, it was just we weren't matched no, but that was good because it was a great learning experience and lesson. Obviously, it led to the next year, which obviously you had a deep run, and we'll get into that. But you had a great regular season, and then uh, you force you get into the Big East, where you guys are ranked now fifth in the nation, and you uh, had beaten Miami, you blew them out in the Big East, and then also had uh, beaten Villanova. So now you get the matchup: Ray Allen versus Allen Iverson, of course, UConn, Georgetown, and it was a game that. It still sticks with me to this day, and I know it's not a, a national championship game. It's just for a conference championship, but, boy, to have the two heavyweights of the Big East go at it and for it to come down to the wire the way it did, I tell you, I, I'm sure that uh, if it sticks with me, I know it sticks with you. Just those final seconds, the Ray Allen acrobatic shot, and then Allen, 
Iverson going up for the layup, missing, and then the junkyard dog Jerome Williams just missing that putback. Oh, that that must have been just just a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah, that was a tough one, you know. And and believe it or not, that's one of the worst games I ever seen Ray Allen play. And it was that wasn't a great game for Allen Iverson as at all, you know, as right. well. So you know that was really that was really that was really Georgetown versus UConn without Ray Allen and Allen Iverson. No, you're right. And, you know, and we, that was a tough game. It came down and, you know, we were winning. We were, we were doing a really good job against UConn. And, you know, we, it was a point that we, we knew we were going to win that game. Mm. And, uh, coach put Allen in to finish out the game back in because he was in foul trouble. Allen was in foul trouble. Yeah. Put in Allen in kind of to seal the deal. And, um, uh, you know, Allen was just missing a lot of shots, but, you know, Myself and Jerome and and uh, Othello was there to clean everything up, so we did made an impact. And I think when Ray Allen hit this crazy shot at the end, and he pretty much only I think what how many points did he have like two or three points or six points the entire game. Yeah, crazy like that. Yeah, I think that yeah, and, and, and exactly he got a shot that he he really was backwards, and it was a shot that had a. You know, ninety nine percent chance of ninety nine point nine percent chance of missing. Yep. And it just rolled in, and it was just a devastating thing. You know, to this and to this day, I hate that game. Oh. I liked it. You know, I liked the fact that you know we were that close. But that was just one of those games, and 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 they play it on ESPN Classic all the time. Yes. So my kids have to watch it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just and it's one of those games you know that we should have won. That was we. That was our game all day. You know, and. um as much as I love Allen, he's my brother, you know, and it just, you know, I think that that's the only decision that, you know, maybe coach should have just kept the momentum going while we had it, how, you know, how it was. No, exactly. And I remember, yeah, he got into foul trouble. He came back late in the game. And the the guy who pretty much saved it for Georgetown was Victor Page. I mean, he had an enormous tournament. He yeah. won the MVP on a losing team. That just goes to show right. you. And then the other thing is, too, you mentioned Bubakar Al. He was a guy that defended Ray Allen. He was in his jersey. Because not only in that game, but I believe the game in the Cap Center, Ray Allen did nothing in that game either, and was thankful. For, every game, yeah, ex- every game, exactly. Bubakar was, was one of the top defenders in the Big East. He never got his credit. Nope. I mean, Bubakar was never there for giving points. He right. He didn't care about that. Bubakar was strong. He'd get in your get in your stuff, and you have a tough game every day. You know, Bubakar was that guy that had to be out there because he was going to defend the mess out of you. And he was going to work hard, and he was strong and and athletic and scrappy and big. No, he was. And I'm trying to get Ray Allen on just to talk about that game. And I, I'm sure maybe if he thinks back on that game and he thinks of number 22 on Georgetown, he probably has nightmares about that because, boy, he did oh, a oh, phenomenal job. I don't know exactly who that is. <laughs> exactly. So then uh, from there you go on to the – Because you've definitely been an NBA player. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. The way he played defense, uh, geez, he, he certainly locked down Ray Allen uh, both times that year uh, against you guys. But uh, as far as the tournament is concerned, so now we move on. We get to the uh, tournament. You're getting out to the regional final. You beat New Mexico. Uh, I believe Darvin Ham was on that team. You also now finally get to play UMass. And this was one I was hoping and praying, fingers crossed, and I knew it was going to be tough. That was Marcus Camby. He was pretty much the only guy on the team. Because the, no, the the point guard, no, the backcourt was good. Great point guard. Yeah, they had Edgar Padilla and uh, Carmelo Travieso, I believe it was, and they had phenomenal. Right, exactly, and they were good. They were, 
But I just thought that the combination of Georgetown's backcourt and, of course, your frontcourt would do enough to at least neutralize Marcus Camby. And Allen had another one of those type of games where he was struggled out of the gate and they just you know, took it away in the second half and obviously won, I think, by 86-68, something like that. Uh, so I know as much as you talked about that freshman year and building up to the your sophomore year, that certainly had to be a bitter end there, knowing that you were that close to get to a Final Four. Well, yeah, that was bitter because we know he was right there going into the Final Four. But, I, I, you know, that's kind of – it was good that we made it that far. It was kind of, you know, we, we did a good job that year, mm-hmm. you know, especially in the in – in the March Madness, in the, the Big Dance, so we did a good job. Um, that was a team. That was that was a tough team. You know, people didn't realize how tough UConn was, and it wasn't it wasn't really always the players that you know the big time players like Marcus Camby and like Arroyo that you had to worry about. Mm-hmm. It was those role players. They had some great role players that played their job to the fullest. You know, who played their role and were just and relentless, you know, it was all the stuff that didn't show on the stats. That, right. that team was really solid all the way throughout. And that's what I realized when I played them. You know, it was some tough role players that was, you know, some tough guys. And it was a really good team. No, absolutely. Uh, but with those so guys. We, we played we, we played our butts off. And we just couldn't get, you know, certain things we just couldn't get because of how tough those players were. And we played our butts, butts off. Yeah. Uh, no, without question. And with that being said, I know now Othello goes to the NBA. Of course, Allen Iverson, Jerome Williams. So now you get the chance to move up in, on the roster, the depth chart to be now to start and pretty much carry the team with Victor Page. And it seemed like Georgetown was not able to get back on their feet the way they did the, the two years prior. Now, of course, when you lose players like that to the NBA, it's going to be tough to get your footing. But if you talk about that next year, I know you lost to UNC Charlotte, which was tough, and not being able to have that firepower that you once did. I'm sure that must have been pretty frustrating knowing that you didn't get as far as you did the pri- uh, the previous two years. Yeah, it definitely was frustrating, you know. Um, because we, we still had some, we had some good talent. You know, it just... Uh, it was. I think focus was really, was really, you know kind of channel to making sure Vic really got his just due, mm-hmm. you know, and that sometimes I think that at times that took away from, you know, things, but I mean, we, we made it, we did it, had a good enough season to make it to the, the, um, you know, to the big dance. And I think we just took UNC Charlotte for granted because we feel like that was just going to be an easy win. And we came out on our heels. We never were able to bounce back. Yeah, no, and that's uh, the one thing because it, it seemed to me from after that point, because then now the following year, then you, of course, now you're entrenched in the lineup, you're senior, and then I believe you hurt your wrist about what twelve games or so into the season. No, that was my ankle. I broke my ankle. Oh, your ankle. I'm sorry. And uh, I broke yeah, my ankle. So yeah, so obviously yeah. that didn't really you know bode well for Georgetown that year, which of course led into your year that you got. Uh, going into the draft, which now I want to ask you, was that tough for you knowing that you had four-year career at Georgetown? You, of course, suffered that injury, and then now here it is, you're trying to see if you'll be one of the top picks, if not, and of course you were a second-round pick, but was there any worry about you getting drafted considering the injury and uh, taking its toll, not only physically but mentally, going into that draft? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. You know, I broke my ankle my senior year, and, you know, that was my year that I really wanted to make my biggest impact. You know, and that's kind of that was it. You know, my only it was it was all or nothing that year. Mm-hmm. So just imagine breaking your ankle early in the season. That just 
you know, that was devastating. You know, your dreams kind of just crush in your mind, you know. And uh, and the day I broke my ankle was the day it was an NBA scout in practice. Mm. And just so it was so it was NBA scout in practice. And, and, you know, he was there for me, but I guess the whole team thought he was there for them as well. Right. So they wanted to show out. Before you know it, they played tougher than they ever did. And, you know, they one of the players just came down to my ankle. Oh, man. You know, so, uh, you know, it was tough. But one thing about – that's why I say Coach is an amazing guy because he, like, he was like, are you ready? You know, it, they gave me so much time to heal. He was like, man, we don't have that much time. He was mm. like, we don't have it. Like you have to now, you know, get back out here and we gonna work you, get you back in shape, and you ain't play on that ankle, you know, because you we have camps. I got you in this camp. I have you in this camp. I have you in this camp. And he was all pre NBA camps to kind of get your get your value back up. Right. So in every camp I went to, I look up in the stands. Coach was right there. Coach Thompson was right there. Mm. You know, no matter where I was, he was right there. In Chicago, he was there. In uh, Arizona, he was there. In Portsmouth, he was there. And I had to go through all of them because I had to get my value back up even just to be drafted. And, uh, you know, and he put it together. And he made sure I worked every day. I had to, I had a regimen every day. About, and I did three a days. And wow. He had all the coaches coaches run me through three a day, you know, just training sessions. I mean, hard nose, and I had to get my ankle back. You know, he didn't have me doing things to make my ankle strong. And so he, you know, he made sure I made it to the NBA. Wow, and I'm sure as you were going through that, you must have been cursing yourself out, and I'm sure cursing uh, Coach Thompson out as well. But that uh, certainly turned out to be a blessing, though. No, absolutely not. I wasn't cursing him out at all. You know, one thing about Coach, when he says something, you just do it. Right. You know, and I I didn't think twice about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, coach, you said this how we got to do it. Let's go. You know, and that's what it was. I didn't question it. You know, I knew he told me how much time we had. We didn't have a time limit. And if I missed that time, you know, I was missing my chance. That's awesome, man. And it's just too bad that a lot of the players that are, that are in the NBA today, I won't say a lot, but some of them, they, you know, they certainly don't have that mentality, knowing that if the coach is doing this for your own well-being that hey you just go out and do it because obviously he's seen and he's been around the block a few times to know that he's trying to nurture these players to get them to the next level and here it was you just took it in stride and you say hey if this is where i this is what i need to do to get where i need to be then hey i just got to do it and that's a testament to you my man that's uh, kudos to you right so be it right that's how i looked at it no i think twice (laughs) you know and worked my butt off and by the time after that third after that last that last chicago the last NBA camp was in Chicago. After that, my mm-hmm. name started really ringing back on the draft charts again. Not- I started getting a lot of individual workouts and calls from every team. And I'm like, okay, you know, the coach knew what he was doing. Oh, absolutely. All right, now we get to the draft. Now, were you thinking, was there a specific team that you worked out for or teams that you worked out for? Was there a destination that you had maybe your heart set on based on some of the dialogue between you and some of these other teams? Or did you just – Leave it up to the good Lord upstairs to say, hey, whoever team I go to, as long as I get drafted, I'm good. Well, I, well, I, I knew I didn't want to go to Utah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I hear that. I, I didn't want to go to Utah, San Antonio. Other than that, I didn't care. Right? Oh, all right. I went through every team. And I did, I did do um, workouts for Utah as well. And, you know, you, you, you got to make it. You know, I didn't have that type of uh, – 
you know, clout to where when I came in, I can decide why I'm not going to that team. You know, right. I have that. You know, I'm in, I'm already I'm trying to fight for a first rounder, be a first rounder. So, That's it. You know, whatever it take to get in, I was doing it. You know, so I, you know, I would love me growing up being a big fan of the Lakers. I really wanted to go to the Lakers. You mm. know. Yeah, you love a Magic Johnson. I can imagine you want to get out there, West Coast, yeah. nice weather, and of course uh, to play in the same team that uh, the guy you idolized growing up watching. Exactly. No, of course. All right, so then now you get drafted. Exactly. Right now you get drafted by the Wizards, second round. So I'm sure that uh, was probably a little bit of relief because as the first round ends, you're probably thinking, "Oh, geez, I hope somebody, you know, of course uh, drafts you at this point." But uh, what was that like? Those few minutes. I'm sure you got the phone call to say. Hey, we're here. I'm sure maybe it's even Wes Unseld, who just passed away a few days ago. Uh, what was that experience like, knowing you get that phone call to say that you've been drafted by the Wizards? Well, my my agent told me I was going first round. He said you're gonna go mid late first round. Mm. So I, you know, I didn't. I wasn't there sitting, you know, in the arena, you know, where everybody get drafted and walk up. I was at my home. Right. You know, after that first round and pick and picks and picks kept going, you know, you you, you get down, you know, you. you your feelings get down. You get down to yourself, and so when that when that pick, that forty fifth pick, finally came, and the Wizards drafted me, you know that was that. Yeah, I was still disappointed. I, I, it wasn't because of the Wizards, because I went so low. Right. And uh, before I knew it, I walked outside, and the whole neighbor, my entire neighborhood, was the streets was packed. It was like a block party that I, you know, everybody was running out the house and screaming. Uh-huh. And that really kind of boosted my and that really boosted my, you know, morale. Right. And it let me know that not only I got to, you know, make it for for myself, but I got to make it for all, everybody else, too, that was, you know, got my back. You know, because you don't realize how many people have your back, how many people are pulling and pushing for you, you know? No, of course. Um, so, you know, I, I use that as motivation to just really, when that training camp came and when it's time to, like, be able to, like, make the team. Because when you go second round, Nothing's guaranteed. First, exactly. you got to make the team. Right. And then you have to stick on a team by February. If you're on a team past a, a certain, like, what, February 1st, then your contract is, you know, is full. Right. But if you get cut before then, you're done. Mm. So, you know, you, it's never, you never can just get comfortable. No, and that's one. You know, I just worked my butt off, my butt off, and then I, I would go out there, and there was when Bernie was a coach, and Bernie would put me out there, and I'd go get in foul trouble. And then once one time, one time, Mitch Richmond said, "Hey man, do you realize what's going on?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he was like, "You the only rookie on this team that that he's trying to give some playing time to, hmm. but you keep getting in foul trouble." He was like, "You you he's giving you a shot. You got to take the shot. You need to quit getting in foul trouble and take the shot. You know, right." I'm like, and I didn't realize it at first. Like, man, yeah, actually, I am getting some time. Wow. So you know, that's all. I'm glad he told me that. You know, when Mitch Richmond came to came to me and told me that, it kind of gave me a different perspective. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna stay out here as long as I can. And that really helped me out. And I know that was a tough time because the NBA, that's before all the hand-checking rules and the way the game is now with three-pointers and ISO and stuff. So I could and going up against guys like Shaq. Uh, even a few years later on, Yao Ming, guys that, of course, were big and where the game was more or less uh, inside out as opposed to outside in. What were, uh, go, going back to that rookie year, because uh, that was the post C Web, Chris Weber teams. I know you had Juwan Howard on that team, I believe Calvert Chaney, but, and a guy like Mitch Richmond, I'm sure, was uh, certainly. 
Rod Strickland. Yes, of course, right here from the Bronx where Tracy, I live. Yep. Tracy Murray, Tracy Murray, yep. Yeah, you know, guys like that. And I'm sure that you probably got a wealth of knowledge from a lot of those guys, just like you detailed with uh, Mitch Richmond. So coming into the league that first year, I'm sure you learned a ton of valuable lessons from the guys that, of course, have been in the league for so many years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, what's, that's what I was just telling somebody the other day is that I've never been on a team such close-knit and was, you know, down for each other like that team. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't win a lot of games. Right. But it was the closest team I ever been on. You know, we had Ben Wallace on that team as well. That's we right. Chris Whitney on that team. So, you know, just a lot of teams did. That's those are teammates supported everybody from one to fifteen. You know, it was the closest team I ever been on, and you know, and I thought, and so that's coming in the NBA. You think the entire NBA is that way? Right. And you realize that, you know, the grass is not always greener. So that the other teams that I played on was nothing like that Washington Wizards team. And I think that was one of the best or, top organizations and one of the best teams that, you know, as far as like teammates that I've been on. Wow. No, and that, that's good to hear because usually when you have uh, an organization or a team that certainly is not going to the playoffs or has one of those long seasons where you win 30, 35 games and – you know, it's pretty much uh, halfway through the season or during the All-Star break, everybody's pretty much checked out knowing that they're just waiting for April 15 to the final game of the season so they could just head out, out on the vacation. So that's good to hear that a lot of the guys were still close-knit and were still professional to know that, all right, we're not making the postseason, but hey, we still have to bang out here and make sure that we earn our paychecks and not take anything for granted because obviously they're in the league for a reason. Yeah, yeah, we all, and we all close to this day, that team. It was just kind of just no, the right personalities just came together, mm. you know, to with the right guys. No, and then the funny thing is that then a few years later you have the presence of a one Michael Jordan, which I'm sure you've probably been asked about a thousand times just in the last uh, month. I would think, considering the Last Dance the documentary, and of course detailing all his uh, his happenings with the Bulls. So of course I have to ask you, my man, what was it like to not only have him as an executive when he first came in, but even have him on the court? All the wisdom, the knowledge, the everything, the mystique around Michael Jordan. What did you learn from being alongside him for those couple of years when he was in Washington, especially as a teammate? Yeah, yeah. Since that last dance, man, I, I've been doing nonstop, nonstop <laughs> interviews, you know. No, of course. <laughs> I, mean, I, see, I, just, I have seen more teammates now than I have seen, you know, in years. Right. But, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, Mike um, – one thing I know knows about Last Dance and what I realized is, you know, it was definitely Mike. Last Dance is definitely Mike, definitely Mike's narrative, and definitely a lot how he is. Mm-hmm. But what it didn't show was it showed an inside sort, you know, inside view that you never seen. But it didn't really go into depth of the inside view. It just showed like uh, the parts that, you know, that helped the narrative out that they needed to tell. Mm-hmm. But Outside of that, you know, you have a you have a another Mike. You know, Mike was a teammate. He was a guy that enjoyed being around his teammates, being around them practice, being around them on the plane, on the bus. You know, he was a a, a, a fun teammate to have. He's a he play around and that crazy sometimes more than all the other teammates. And wow. So that's the part that they really didn't show, you know, of Mike. But also he was a intense player, and he was just. You know, he was more of a student of the game. He was a mad scientist of basketball. And you can watch how he approached the game and how, you know, his perception and outlook of the game was just completely different. And he would try to pass that along. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if he understood that you were a student of the game, he would do everything he could to, you know, teach you how to, you know, how to, you know, um, um, approach the game. Right. And how was your relationship with him? Considering everything that he's accomplished and you know, here you are, of course, just being on the same team with him, not knowing that when you started your career at the Wizards that you would end up being teammates with Michael Jordan. So uh, what was your relationship like with him? Well, my first uh, introduction was Mike was when he became president of basketball operations. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was renegotiating my contract after I had my first two years. You know, I did a good job. Right. So I got a chance to, you know, renegotiate my contract. And so, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to renegotiate my contract with Abe Poland or, you know, uh, Susan O'Malley, which I which was I an mean, amazing lady, which I was, you know, I was fine with that as well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I end up negotiating it with Mike, which, you know, his agent was David Falk at the time, and my agent happened to be David Falk. Oh, look at that. <laughs> so it, kind of, it it really helped me out a lot. So that's oh, sure. pretty much my first introduction. And Michael, you know, he would like he would tell us, you know, through my agent, like, yeah, we really want him. He's not going anywhere. We will do what we ever have to do to keep him. You know, so that kind of made it very much easier for me. So he really, you know, swayed the organization to see things my way. So that's my first introduction to Mike. And then you know, one thing about Mike, even though he was uh, president, I think it was basketball operations at the time, mm-hmm. he. He spent more time with us than he did with, you know, upstairs with wow. the owners. So you really got to really meet Mike. You know, Mike wanted to be around practice. He wanted to actually get into practice. He wanted to sometimes put his get his input in. You know, when he was on the plane, he'll walk up to the front of the plane where the teams, where the uh, players are, and, and hang with us. Hmm. You know, so by the time Mike started playing, we really kind of knew who Mike was, and you know, kind of the. The celebrity, you know, you know, big time status was kind of, you know, kind of wore off, and you know, we were really—he was just another guy, like a teammate, right? And then now you finish your five years there, and you go on to Phoenix. And considering that you're young adult and into your adult life, you pretty much stayed in the D.C. area from Georgetown to now the Wizards before you go to Phoenix. I'm sure that had to be pretty rough, considering that you had spent there now what almost ten years in the D.C. area. So what was that like at that point, knowing that, hey, you're in a profession, that's how the business is, but considering that your heart and soul was pretty much uh, born and raised there, not literally, but just from a basketball and a young adult sense, to now have to go to Phoenix, what was that transition like? Well, it's tough leaving D.C. because D.C. was my home. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't my home because I played there. It was my home way before that. Right. You know, I went to college there four years. Then I played for the Wizards for a long time there. So, you know, going to Phoenix was... uh was different you know one thing about it you had you know had nice weather you know and and some of the players I knew Stefan was a player that was begging Phoenix to you know bring me there mm. so I was you know I was close to him but what I realized it was just a, it was a completely different uh atmosphere as far as team wise you know team those teams it was a younger team right you know, it was a much younger team and those the teammates really didn't they wasn't as close. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't really hang with each other all the time like we did at Washington. You know, uh, one, you know, no matter, you know, if the top players were Jawan Howard for as much as for salary goes, you know, the team didn't make, didn't separate us and make us think that, you know, from the top player, you know, you get this and, you know, go on down the line. You know, right. at, at, at Phoenix, 
basically whatever top player had the closest parking spot. It uh-huh. was just all kind of set up for separation and and the team and and it felt like that, you know. Hmm. So you know, it wasn't the best uh, team atmosphere for me. You know the way it was they had it set up, but you know I I, I enjoyed Phoenix. Oh, okay. Well, no, that's good because uh, again, like you said, going from pretty much a veteran-laden team when you first came into the league and then they go to a team which obviously is a lot younger and they do things a lot differently. I'm sure it could be pretty discouraging knowing that, hey, you're a professional at the end of the day, you're going to go about your business, but knowing that you went from such a close-knit team in Washington to then Phoenix, which is a little bit fractured, I'm sure that had to be a, a little bit uh, disappointing, uh, to say the least. Yeah, well, it made me realize the grass wasn't always green. Right. You know, I, I, with Washington, I kind of kind of forced them to kind of, you know, trade me, you know, which, you know, made me realize I should have stuck it out. Mm. So, you know, I really should have stuck it out and, 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 you know, stayed there. And, uh, but in the, in the end, it's just Phoenix was a learning lesson and I enjoyed it. I did enjoy that year in Phoenix. All right. And then, of course, you wrap up with uh, Charlotte those two years, which you came back a little bit closer to home, just a little bit south in uh, North Carolina. So now as you're getting toward the, uh, the back end of your career here, uh, what was your experience like in Charlotte as they came back into the NBA known as the Bobcats this time before they changed it uh, to the Hornets a few years ago? Well, that team was just pretty much kind of starting out then, and it was an expansion team. So Charlotte was, you know, it, it I, at that time it didn't, you kind of was in the NBA and it didn't feel really like an NBA team. Right. You know, so those years in Charlotte kind of flew by. But, you know, at the same time, you were playing basketball and you love playing the game. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, Charlotte wasn't bad. I enjoyed it, you know. And to think, if you, if I would have told you before you even went into Georgetown, considering that once you went to that, uh, all those camps there that you mentioned earlier, and obviously your name shot up the ranks, if I would have told you then that not only would you stay four years at Georgetown, but you would have been the NBA to play for almost nine, ten years, almost a decade, would I would have told you that? And would you say I would have been crazy, or you would have said, "Nah, I wish I would have been 12, 14 years in the NBA." No, I, I would have said I, was, I should have been twelve, fourteen years. I mean, one thing about it is, before I went to Georgetown, by the time I went to Georgetown, I already had the NBA in my sights, and it would, no one could tell me in a million years that I wouldn't be an NBA player. Right. So you know, one thing about you know, you making yourself an NBA player, you gotta you gotta be all in. Of course. You, know, you can't have a you can't really have a plan B. And I never looked at it as there was a plan B. You know and no matter what what the downfalls or the pitfalls or the obstacles or whatever adversity I went through, you know, throughout Georgetown, I knew that I you know, I was gonna be an NBA player. No, that's great. I'm glad you had that approach, man, because it was a, it was a pleasure watching you and even though it was a thing where you may not have gotten into many playoff teams or even into the playoffs, but just to know that you had a long career like that and especially to back that up with the four years at Georgetown, man, I'm sure you, you definitely should be very proud for what you accomplished there over the course of your, I'll say basketball career. I was going to say your NBA career, but we got to throw in your college career as well. So, <laughs> right, yeah, right. No doubt. Uh, a couple more because, listen, I know I've had you on for a long time, Jahidi, and uh, I could talk to you all day, of course, but uh, a few other quick things for me. First off, what was the most memorable moment of your basketball career, whether it was in pro or in college? Oh, that's, that's a good question. It has so many of them. Uh, I tell you what, man, the most memorable moment is before the game even started. You know, hmm. was, we was they called them. You know, they called the lineup out. You know how you do the Star Spangled Banner before the lineup. They call everybody. You know, you do the 
you do the Star Spangled Banner, and you you know stand out there for the flag. And this is my first time ever before a re- my first NBA game, mm-hmm. and they calling it out, and I'm like, all right, is this real? Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> believe it was real. Wow. I'm looking, I'm seeing NBA players next to me to the right and left. And I'm like, okay, I know this is a dream. I really think I'm in a dream. I literally think I'm in a dream. So wow. <laughs> why the start, you know, why they singing the Star Spangled Banner? I'm literally pitching myself hard as I can pitch myself. <laughs> <trying> to, <laughs> like, let me see if this is real. And I'm like, okay, I can definitely feel that. Wow. You know, and I looked around, and that's the first time, I, you know, no matter how many times I, you know, how much I played or how much, you know, I went through training camp, you know, how much I've been around the players, I still didn't believe I was an NBA. Wow. To that time. Oh, but look at that. And you know, it's fun, funny because you just made me uh, jog my memory about something. I know when uh, Allen had his Hall of Fame speech and he was talking about Michael Jordan, how in his uh, in his rookie year at the Sixers, when he saw him on the court, he goes, damn, there goes Michael Jordan. There he is with the Jordans. And he was in awe. He couldn't believe it. Although he had to contain that because obviously he was on the court and he didn't want to show him too much love or too much respect. Was there a player like that when you were in the in the NBA, especially in their rookie year? Was there a guy that you stood up next to, whether it was on the free throw line or just just out in the court, where you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I'm standing next to this guy? Yeah, it was Shaquille O'Neal. Mm. Wow. I've always been a big Shaq fan. I tried in my game after him mostly. Right. You know, I even tried to dunk like him. So just the fact of being up next to Shaq. And all those games, you know, and as, a, as a basketball player, it's different. Mm-hmm. When you go against guys that you really admire, and like they when they walk, they float. Right. You play your toughest game against those guys. Oh yeah. You want them to know you there. That's right. Yeah. No, I hear that. No, no, that's good, and uh, I could see that definitely the comparison, like this, like just what you said with the way you dunk, just like Shaq. I could uh, definitely see the uh, the resemblance in that regard. All right, so now a few cookies for me. I'll start from the top here. Where what was your favorite NBA arena to play in? Sacramento Arco Arena because it was small. Oh. It felt like an old school college arena, and it was, you know, it didn't it it, it felt, you know, it take you back. It was nostalgic, you know. Right. It was one like when you were in high school at one of those shootouts type of games, you know. And so it it was always comfortable to play in Arco Arena. Oh, nice. Uh, it doesn't exist now, but no. Yeah, they got the new arena up there now. But yeah, Arco, I know they had a pretty decent home court back in the day when Seaboy uh, was there, Mike Bibby, Stoyakovich. So yeah, yeah I could see that must have been a bloody diva. Yes, that must have been a pretty good yeah. environment. All right, as far as a, a guy that you hated to face, that you know that you looked on the calendar or you looked at the schedule and you're like, oh, geez, this guy's coming to town, who, who would that be? I mean, the obvious ones was like Shaq. But, right. Um, the games you had to prepare, just, I call those games you got to prepare three days in, in advance for. Right. <laughs> you know, and that was Alonzo Mourner. That was another one, Alonzo. Mm. You had to prepare three days in advance for. Anytime I played New York Knicks, you know, that was one you're going to have to prepare three games in advance for. It wasn't a major players, but you had to think about, like, where well, Patrick was there at the time, mm-hmm. too, you know, which was you definitely had to prepare for that. Um, but you like guys like, uh, what's his name? Kurt Thomas and. Oh, yeah. Boom. You know, those guys were just as strong as me. You know, no, of course. We had the same type of body style and the same strength. So you, you, you know, and they were dirty as hell. <laughs> dirty, dirty ass players, man. So elbows you know, and yeah, you got to prepare. You got to prepare for that. Um, 
guys you didn't think about that you wouldn't expect was uh, Eldon Campbell. Oh, yeah. It, it, it seemed like he don't do anything out there, but it's, that dude was a hard player to play against. You know, he was just unique and awkward, and he was strong. You know, he can establish position very well. Wow. And then, uh, you know, the game I look forward to because he was just as tough as me. He was I like I like playing against super tough guys. Mm-hmm. Was uh, Jamal, Jamal McGlure? Oh yeah, from Kentucky. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. No, absolutely. Yeah, he was definitely tough. And yeah, but the game didn't a guy. Pinko, he played for Celtics. Um, uh, the Russian guy, man, I, I hated playing. He was about uh, uh, by, by the time the game was over with him, I'm I'm, I'm kicked out the game with text, you know. Oh, is that is that a uh, Vitali Potapenko? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I remember I would, him. You know, he would be at Georgetown the whole summer and training. I would train with him at Georgetown the whole summer, and I just. I hated playing against that dude, man. Uh, oh. I, he was—he was, he the only dude that really could get me to like straight want to fight. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, I wonder what it was that he did. Was he just uh, one of those type of players? Well, it's the guys who, 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 he was very strong, and he sat, and he sat low. Mm. So you know, his whole thing was just to kill you and on your knees the whole time. He had a lower center of gravity. As tough as a tall guy to play against a, a like a scrappy guy with lower center of gravity. Right. Oh, interesting. All right, what about your favorite NBA city to visit? Oh, man. I would have to be Miami or, or L.A. Yeah, that, that, need you say more. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Miami or L.A. Oh, all right, cool. All right, two more. Miami, uh, definitely, Miami was definitely number one. No, I hear that. Yeah, definitely. It's the East Coast. It's not like L.A. You fly out there, for, you know, and then pretty much – you know, you're there for a day, and you come back. Sometimes Miami, depending on the, the way your road trip goes. See, that, that's the little that's the little secret, you know. When you got those big time, when you got LeBron and all those guys, or you have Shaq back then, or you have Alonzo back then, who used to that city, you know. With other players, when they go to Miami, they, you know, we we said, hey, we're in Miami. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna enjoy it a little bit. That's right. Well, that's kind of tough, you know. So it makes it easier to kind of get those wins in Miami. <laughs> no, I, those late nights can certainly hurt you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, who's your favorite teammate? Oh, man. That's a, so, definitely, like, you know, like, my my favorite teammate was probably Chris Whitney, but, you know, Rod Strickland was one of my favorite teammates, mm. Mitch Richmond. I would have to say Rod Strickland and Mitch Richmond was, you know, definitely my favorite teammates. Oh, nice. All right, and I know this one may be a little bit loaded because uh, it could be a long-winded answer or whatever, but... As far as the game today, do you like the game today with the three pointers and the ISO and having these one forty one to one twenty two type games? Uh, what is your impression of uh, watching the game today from a guy who played obviously to me, which was the best basketball in the nineties into the two thousands? So uh, definitely love to hear your take on that. Well, it's, a, it's a completely different game. I mean, you got to I mean, you got to change with the times. You know, it's hmm. a completely different game. You know, guys like me probably wouldn't even be able to play in the game today. Right. You know, um, it's much faster, it's more ISO, it's more it's all three pointers, which I hate I hate that part. I hate that <laughs> you know, it's just how many three pointers you can throw up. You right. Because that takes away from, you know, all the other avenues of skill that the game provides that people can offer the game. You know, um the ISO game, you know, it's that always existed, but it was still more of a 
team concept. But you know, think about the Bulls play mostly ISO. Right. Um, the thing I don't like about the game is how how less physical it is. Mm, and I agree. You know, I think once you started adding in the less physical part, then you took, then it kind of was replaced with everybody flopping. Yeah. You know, and it, I just you know I don't like how soft the game is now. You know, um, but with all that said, you know it is a it's, it, it's a new it's so many it's it's advanced it has advanced you know the moves because of how the game changed a lot of moves have advanced and they're more they're more you know intricate moves they're more detailed and unique moves that you mm. that you never seen before. Like now, me as a, you know, one thing I do, you know, in my profession now, my post career is one of them is coaching. Mm. And to teach the game, you have to teach it a totally different way than you have learned it. Right. Or didn't you played it? You know, you're teaching the game now a completely different way than you learned it or played it. Which is and it's and that and what you're teaching is pretty much more advanced than the way you have played it because it's so unique. And when you're teaching individual players, you're teaching them moves now that was completely different than the moves that, like, like in the United Day where, you know, the Isaiah Thomases or the Rod Strickland, they didn't do it. They, they didn't have all these counters and, you know, step backs and, yeah. you know, uh, deceptions and all that in moves. You know, now it's, it's a combination of all that just to get a shot off. Those moves back then that you that most of these players now have, you saw in one mixtapes. Right. And and if a coach had a player that did any of that, you know, he'd kick him off the team. Oh, that's it. You know? Yeah. Who was a uh, guy, guy, like guy, who was not guy, sham guy, who was a guy who was an in one guy? Rayful Austin. Oh, yeah. He had two different, he had two different games. Yep. He had the in one game, but then when he started came to the NBA, it was subtle. It was totally different game. You yeah. know? And because now that game that Rafael Austin had then with the N one game, that's the game everybody has now. Right. Yeah, everything's about the highlights. And it's funny, now you mentioned God Sham God. And, of course, you played against him in college, too, when he was at Providence. And then you were a teammate of his uh, in your first year in Washington. Is that right? Yeah, and the funny thing is he didn't get much burn in the NBA, but, of course, he's known, especially in the basketball circles, for his handle. And he's from the Bronx, too, also from where I live. So uh, if you could just kind of shed some light on God Sham God, not only just how he was as a teammate, but just I'm sure watching him just practice and just dribble, his handle and all that, that must have been a sight to see right there. Well, first of all, God Sham God's coolest dude you ever meet. Mm. And, and, and and he treats everybody like a brother. You know, that's one thing. That's the coolest thing about him. And I played against him in, against, in Providence all the time, too, so we knew each other personally. Right. But, um, you know, the game, I think the game, he was – he was too advanced for the game. Wow. I, and I say that for real. He was too advanced for the game. He was too early. He came too early. Yeah. Because everything he does is the major thing they're teaching all the players to do. Right. Today, yeah. You know? And, and so he was just too got. He really didn't pan out very good in the NBA as a player. But if he was in the NBA today, no. at, at the same age and came to the NBA today, he'd be your next Kyrie. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. That's a great comparison. No, 100%. Let me tell you, my man, I could keep you on forever. There's two other things I wanted to touch on, but I know I've had you almost for an hour. 
Uh, Jahidi, I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time out just to share your experience, share everything about your career here with me over the last hour. And uh, all the best. I know you said you're coaching right now, so that's pretty much what you've been up to in this day and age? Yeah, I'm coaching and I own a, uh, a medical company. Oh, nice. Good to hear, man. I'm glad that everything is going well in your life. And, of course, let's uh, hope that better days lie ahead for this country and uh, not only just from a health standpoint but also from a physical standpoint with what's going on here. And, uh, again, thank you so much. It was an honor and pleasure, my man. I appreciate it. All right, likewise, likewise. Once again, thanks to Jahidi White for joining me here on the podcast. Certainly very engaging conversation. I hope you enjoyed that. A lot of fascinating tidbits from the former big man at Georgetown and Washington. And it was certainly a pleasure to have him on here to go down memory lane and recap a lot of his uh, great memories, in, not only in college, but also in the NBA. And it was great to deliver that to you people. I'm hoping to do this twice a week, as I've said. Thankfully, next week I have another guest. So next Thursday, expect another interview that I have with a former NHL player, Going back to the 80s, who played on four Stanley Cup teams, was part of that Edmonton Oilers dynasty in the NHL in the decade of the 80s, and that would be Kevin McClelland. Was a tough guy, played many years in the league, and that was a conversation that certainly was one. If you love the hockey fights like I do, and if you're a fight fan, this is right up your alley. But even for the NHL fan, this is one that you definitely want to sink your teeth into, so that'll be next Thursday, and I'm working on a couple of other guests for the future Thursdays after that, so please, people... Continue to support independent podcasting because as everybody knows, whether it's your first time listening or not, I do this all straight from the heart, independently produce, host, write, and even edit this podcast. But again, it's a pleasure to be able to have guys like Jahidi White or even Kevin McClellan as you're here next week and some of my other past interviews, whether it's Kenny Anderson, Tony Delk, even LaVon Kirkland. So guys like that, A.J. Ramos, can't forget him. So to get the former athlete on is not only a pleasure and a treasure, but in turn to have you guys listen to their stories is one of the reasons why I do this. So if you can, please, wherever you get your podcasts, just please subscribe, rate, review. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast among the many others that are out there, as I'm sure you well know. And by doing so, it will generate interest for those who aren't familiar with this podcast that will be able to attract, whether it's the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, sports writer, blogger, whomever it may be. So your participation, if you could go ahead and do that on any of the platforms that are out there, whether it's Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, or wherever you get your podcasts, if you could go ahead and do that, I would greatly appreciate it. And please, any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you could go ahead and do so at any of my social media accounts, which you definitely want to follow because what that does is I'll keep you abreast of what's happening with the podcast, not only behind the scenes, but also with future guests. So if you could do so at any of the social media platforms, whether it's on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels podcast, which is strictly sports, on Twitter, J Reels one, just a number, the J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page. And the old-fashioned way, you can send me an email at the podcast at gmail.com. I'm still looking for questions for my Ask Me Anything podcast. I was hoping to release that last week, but with the climate of the country, it just felt it wasn't in, in my best interest to release it. So I do have plenty of questions that I could chew on, but I could certainly use a lot more, make it even a little bit longer podcast than originally I planned. So if you could go ahead and do that, I would sincerely appreciate that as well. 
And lastly, for those who haven't checked, please go to the website at www.jreels.com. All the podcasts are there too, at least the last hundred, because I believe I could only house a hundred podcasts or the last hundred podcasts that I produced. But more so, I've updated the website, not only with the gallery, but also with the bio. And there's also a media link that you could check out where I was part of a interview with OutwitTrade.com. They wanted to find out why I got into podcasting. And it pretty much is in my bio. You could read it all there at jreels.com. But if you'd like to see what I've done as far as tweaking the website, and I'm going to continue to do so from here on out, you could definitely check that out to see what's happening not only with me, the podcast, etc. So I would also direct you to check that out as well. And it goes without saying, people, I appreciate you. I thank you for all your support, all the love. And if you could just spread that love with some other people who may be into sports, whether they like it, they're getting into sports, they love sports, they're diehard just like myself because, as I said before, the reason why I'm here is to not only entertain and inform, but to deliver credible sports talk unlike any other. So whether that's the talk on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the j Reels podcast, on the flip, baby.